So, Father, we look and long for that day when we will be in your presence. Holy, 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 perfect, set apart, eternal God. When we gather with every tribe and every nation around your throne, where you are high and lifted up. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard all that you have prepared for us. Amazing, truly amazing. We worship you today. We bow before you today. We humble ourselves before you today. We recognize you as sovereign God over our lives today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 12, if you would. Genesis chapter 12. A big shout out to uh, those of you who have stepped up. I was chatting with my folks. I was not here last week and um, was hearing that uh, I think we've got all the volunteers we need for Awana and all the volunteers we need for international students and um, maybe need a little more help with Big Picture Studio. But thanks to you for stepping up and uh, all the jobs that you have been willing to take on and, and make a difference here. Um, one other housekeeping piece. Um, we, be, we believe that worship is a, has, has three parts to it. Uh, your worship should be what we're doing right now, big church worship, where we come together as God's family and we all worship together. And, and the second part is we believe that you should have a personal time where you are worshiping with God alone, a quiet time, uh, a regular daily Ideally, daily occurrence where you spend time focused being alone with God, uh, prayer and Bible study and, and focus with Him. The third, the third part of your worship, we believe, where people really grow is being a part of a small group. So there's, there's big church and there's your time alone, but then there's a time where you get with a small group. And that's why an important part of our ministry here at 12th Avenue is, is our life group ministry. And so if, uh, I know that's been, that drum's been beaten pretty good, but I just want to throw my weight behind that and just say, you know, that's a really important part here. And if you're not a part of one, we'd love to have you be a part of one. We have, I think we still have some openings on Sunday night and Monday night, if those nights work for you, and we would love for you to be a part of a group. Enough about that. Oh, we went to Yellowstone, we went to the Badlands, and we went to Mount Rushmore, and it was awesome. Um, next time, I will not schedule it the same week that a total eclipse comes across the state of Wyoming. <laughs> the population of Wyoming literally went from 500,000 people to 1.1 million people for the total eclipse because, and I ran into a guy in the motel, he said, he said, uh, I've been planning this for three years to come to Yellowstone the same week that I can come and see the eclipse as well. So anyway, note to self, I had no idea back in January I'm making plans. I didn't know anything about this eclipse. I didn't know that was happening. So anyway, um, that's my first thought. So next time, note to self, check the eclipse schedule before you plan to go. Second, second is this. My second thought is if God, if God can do 
this well in a cursed, broken world with what he's done at Yellowstone and the Badlands and all of that. Oh my, what's heaven going to be like? What is heaven going to be like? Uh, I just think we can't even, uh, even imagine that. Okay, enough about that. Okay, we're, we're back to our study uh, of the greatest story. The greatest story, the story of, of God reaching down to broken man and redeeming us and making us into the right relationship with him. And we're, we're tracing Act 1, which begins basically in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Let's look at those. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And I think we have a chart. We are tracking with this. If, if you're tracking with me, and you should have the charts, we have some more on the, uh, the Welcome Center kiosk back there if you don't have one. Let's, let's just review a little bit, because this is really important. This is Act 1. There's three acts to God's story, and this is Act 1 that we're working through now. It's really the longest one. Um, Genesis 1 through 11 was the prologue. It's starting with this promise in Genesis 12 to Abraham. He says, I'll make you a, a mighty nation out of you, Abraham, and all the people will be blessed in the world through you, through your line, you'll become a mighty nation. So it looks like things are not going very fast. Abraham's going to be a mighty nation, and how many kids does he have? One. Uh, he had, uh, and then, Isaac had two sons, and God says, I'm not going to use Esau, I'm just going to use Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, where we get the nation of Israel from today. So he had 12 tribes, 12 sons, so we're getting somewhere. So Joseph, if you remember the story, goes down in Egypt, they, uh, they, he becomes a deliverer for them, and his people come down there. Seventy come down, while they're down there 430 years, they grow to probably 2 or 3 million people. So if you're going to have a nation... If you have a nation, you have to have people. So they get people down in Egypt. If you have a nation, you've got to have a leader. God raises up a leader. That black dot is a man named Moses. Raised up Moses. He led them out to Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, he gave them a culture. We call that the law in the Old Testament. God gave them a culture to live by, a fabric to their nation. Then he goes on in the book of Joshua, and the books across the top go along with these events. He gives them the land during the book of Joshua. So now we have, we have a promise, we have people, we have a leader, we have a culture, we have a land. If you remember Judges, they were still divided, they were not unified. Finally, God raised up a prophet, his name was Samuel. He began to rebuild the nation under Samuel. And God wanted to speak directly to them, but they said, no, we want a king like everybody else. And so the next the last picture there is Saul. And this was the monarchy. Uh, if you remember, and that's where we kind of pick up the story now. We've kind of made it this far um, in our journey. So I, I'll, all that was a review of what we've already covered uh, this summer. Two weeks ago, we talked about Saul. And Saul started out well, but if you remember, Saul didn't do things God's way. He disobeyed God. And you remember to, to disobey God, it, it never works. You never do things your way. You always have to do it God's way. And God says, I've rejected you from being king. 
And we left off the story there in 1 Samuel 15, and it says that Saul and uh, Samuel was uh, grieved for Saul, but he never saw Saul again. They never saw each other again after he had pronounced upon him that your disobedience has, mean, has meant that the throne will be taken from you. So that's where we pick up the storyline now. Because remember the promise that was made to Abraham, he's going to make a great nation. Saul is kind of floundering here. What's God going to do? Well, we're going to cover today, actually, really the high point of the nation of Israel. Uh, during the reign of King David and King Solomon. So let's pick up the storyline. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, and I'm going to be going fast, and if we have verses up there, you might want to just jot down the reference because you won't be able to write down the verses. We'll go too fast for that. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, God says, I've got somebody else I want you to anoint to be king. 1 Samuel 16. And, and so he says, um, he, he tells Samuel, he says, Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse who lives in Bethlehem. Now, Backstory: do you remember the story? We, when we talked about judges, there was a bright spot in the time of the judges. Other than the judges, the individual judges, those were bright spots. But the story of Ruth. Here was this outsider, a widow, uh, a poor person, so many things against her. But she comes back to the nation of Israel and God honors her faithfulness, leads her to this man Boaz, who's a, a godly, righteous man, and they marry and they have a son named Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse. So Jesse that's, that Samuel's going to now is the grandson of righteous Ruth. Which literally makes her the grandmother, we're going to see, of a guy named David. Who was in the line of King Jesus. Wow, what a story. And just again, sometimes you look at yourself and you think, I'm a nobody, I'm in a little place, I don't have too many skills or gifts or abilities or resources or whatever it is. And you, time and time again, you see this happen throughout the Bible. God takes the little things of this world and makes them great. So he goes to see Jesse, and Jesse says, bring, he, says, he says, bring out your sons. So he starts bringing them out, and they're big and strong and tall. And God says, no, no, no. Finally, he says, do you have anybody left? He said, well, just the youngest. And he's out keeping the sheep because that's the only thing he's fit for. He's kind of a, he's kind of a lower, lower lung, rung leader here. You know, he's not a high leader. He's, a, he's just a lower rung leader. God says uh, he's the guy. And we get to this verse in 1 Samuel 16, 7, a great verse. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, speaking of the others. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The heart. And we have some other verses. This is, this is a theme that runs through the Bible. It says this in Proverbs. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Another verse in Proverbs. As water reflects the face, someone's life reflects the heart. From Matthew, Jesus said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. It comes out of the heart. And then again in Matthew, 
Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We need a good dose of that in our lives. Because again, God takes little people like shepherd boy David and with just a slingshot. And like a little boy who had a lunch in the New Testament. And stammering Moses, who could not speak well. And God used them. And he can use us. If, 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 and this is huge. If we are wholehearted toward him. Because God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. When we are surrendered and broken and wholehearted toward God, the sky is the limit of what God can do with a person. And I would say this, the converse is also true. You can be the smartest and most talented, most gifted. And you and I know these stories of people like this, but they don't have the heart for God. And so they build something for themselves, but not for God. We get to choose. We get to choose. Back to the story. David's first assignment after he was anointed was to go take some, some bread and cheese to his brothers. And you may remember the story in 1 Samuel 17. They go out there to do this. And he gets there and this giant comes stomping out around and says, send out your best. You know, mano, mano, the champion against the champion here. Come out and we'll fight. And whoever fights, you know, whoever wins. And nobody comes out. And everybody's his big, healthy, strong brothers are looking at Goliath and saying, you know, I'm 6'2 and he's 9 feet tall. Um, don't think so um, and David says I, I, I'm, I can't stand that I can't stand that now understand this story about David David is not stepping out there because David thinks I'm all that you know I'm, I'm all that no no he steps up to the plate and this is important this is, he steps up to the plate because he is offended for the God of Israel Goliath is an offense to the God of Israel. He comes out of the names of the Philistine God, and he says, how dare he do that? That's what grips David's heart. That's what makes the little hair on the back of his neck stand up. Okay? It's not, you know, it's not just, you know, I'm the guy. It's like, God, God can't be offended this way. We cannot let our, our God be ridiculed. And made light of. So, so when he comes out to fight the giant, what does he say? First Samuel 17, verses 45 and 40, 47. David said to the Philistines, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Pretty, pretty direct. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, 
and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, and this, this is why he won the victory. He didn't come out there and say, you know, I'm pretty good with a slingshot. I killed a bear, killed a lion. I'm pretty good. He didn't say that. He said, I come out here in the name of the Lord. It's not physical weapons that win the battle. It's spiritual weapons that win the battle. And David embraced that reality. Because you see, if it had been David against Goliath, just in, in, in human standards with you know, swords and spears and all this kind of stuff, I mean, David loses that fight 100 times out of 100 times. Just saying. But not with God. And so God put the stone, the one place, the one vulnerable spot that Goliath had, and kills him on his spot, and David's prophecy comes true. And they get a great victory. So his first assignment was David, for David was Goliath. His second assignment is much harder, 1 Samuel 18-31, and that's dealing with King Saul. His second assignment is dealing with the standing king. Because you see, when King Saul uh, did not embrace David's great victory over the Philistines and over, over Goliath, but instead he was envious of David's acclaim that he got for this. You see, you see King Saul never went to the Global Leadership Summit like we did. A lot of us have gone to. And where we learned, and we talk about this a lot, where a win for an individual is a win for the whole team. The whole team wins. The guy kicks a field goal. Who gets a W beside it? The whole team does. You go to the New Testament. And, you know, he talks in the New Testament about the, that we all have gifts in the body of Christ, and some are like the feet, and some are like the eye, and some are like the, you know, whatever. And if one part gets a win... The whole team wins. The whole body wins. You know, again, using the analogy of kicking the field goal, you kick the field goal with the leg and the, and the arm says, I could, have thrown a I, I could have thrown a touchdown pass. If you just let me do something, why didn't you let me do something? I'm going to be mad. I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to celebrate. The rest of your body can celebrate, but I'm not. How stupid. How stupid it is when we can't celebrate for others and we see the kingdom of God move forward and we see others that have successes and we see God bless other people and use other people. Praise God. Praise God. Saul never got that. He never got that. And so Saul pursues David, tries to kill him. There's a lot of things I'm going over. The, the wonderful friendship story of David and Jonathan the two times that, that David could have killed King Saul, but he would not. He left him to God, which was another picture of his faith. I hear those stories, and I'm thinking, I'm killing him. I mean, I, you know, I'm reading through that, and I'm thinking, if I had a chance to get rid of King Saul, I'd have taken it. I said, this is it. I mean, all of, his, all of his faithful men said, David, here's your chance, buddy. And he did not. He left him in God's hands. 1 Samuel 25 is the great story of his encounter with Nabal and Nabal's uh, wise wife, Abigail. That's a neat story. Eventually, King Saul dies, and uh, David is crowned king. Uh, the third assignment he had was against all the enemies of the nation of Israel. And it says in um, 2 Samuel 5 that David fought all the enemies of Israel, and every time he went to war, he won. David was the Floyd Mayberry, May, Mayweather, what's his name, Mayweather, 
Floyd Mayweather of his day. You know, that's the fighter. He's 50 and 0 now. He hadn't lost any fights. He ought to stop. That's what I think. He may not even have brain damage yet. I don't know. But anyway, uh, David, David never lost. Never lost. Why was this? It's because David was staying in touch with God and doing things God's ways. And the only time that David messed up, the only time he got in big trouble was when he stayed home from war. And you know the story with Bathsheba and seeing that her husband died in battle. Psalm 51 is a great psalm of repentance and brokenness and humility. 2 Samuel 7, God, David wants to build God a house, a temple, but God says no. He says your son will. And it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You might want to turn to this. 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is great. This, this just reveals the heart of David and why he was a man after God's own heart and why God blessed him in spite of his failings. 2 Samuel 7, beginning of verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like the people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. This is the heart of this man, time and again. What a humble, genuine spirit. It just oozes out. One writer said it this way, In success, David praised God. In sin, David repented before God. And in sorrow, David clung to God. David was a man after God's own heart. David dies. His son Solomon steps on the stage. Solomon inherits the throne. Um, Solomon's most momentous act is recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 3, if you want to turn to that. 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 5. 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, this is not a magic genie lamp and a, you know, and that kind of stuff. This is God. Ask for me what you want and I will give it to you. Wow. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. 
You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son <clears throat> to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will be so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will ever there ever be. Moreover, I will give you whatever you have asked for, whatever you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Wow. This kind of this is the character of Solomon. He's saying, you know, he could have asked for wealth, he could have asked for a long life, he could have asked for health. He asked for discernment so that he could lead the nation of Israel, God's people, well. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, was a man of peace, and the nation prospered under this. And, and, and the high point in the story, okay, this, this whole building of nation that God promised he was going to do back in Genesis 12, the high point is in uh, 1 Kings chapter 10. There's a great story there. It says the Queen of Sheba heard about all of these things that was going on in the nation of Israel, and she couldn't believe all the stories. So she came to see it. For herself and it says in the text that she asked King Solomon hard questions and nothing was too hard for him to answer I wish I had a YouTube video of that Q&A don't you that'd be cool and it says when she saw his wisdom and she saw his palace she saw the food on his table and all the pomp and ceremony and all the burnt offerings she was overwhelmed. She says, I've heard these amazing stories. And she said, they didn't even cover half of it. Not even half of it. So it was a time of wisdom and wealth. And then she says to him something interesting. She said, how happy your people must be to be here and to be a part of this great nation. Now, that goes back to chapter 3. That goes back to when he prayed for discernment and wisdom to lead his nation well. You see, the people weren't happy to live in the nation because King Saul, I mean, King Solomon, excuse me, had a lot of wealth. They were happy to live there because he was a wise and discerning leader and a good leader. First Kings ten nine, I think, was the verse for that. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. What's the most important thing, the thing that a king does? He maintains justice and righteousness. 
So, let's review. This is all connected. Um, if we, we look at our chart again, we started with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the twelve, and I skipped out a lot of this. They developed the people, the culture, the land, and finally, this, this, is, this is the apex in the Old Testament, friends. This is it. God's dealing with Solomon, and the nation is united, and they're living under justice and righteousness. There's a time of peace. David was a great leader, but it's a time of war. It's a time of peace. All 12 tribes aligned there. And it says in 1 Kings 8.10, it says, and the, after they built the temple, it says, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Listen, God has blessed this nation. God is there. He's right in the middle of it all. Right there in the middle of it all. What a great story. God has done what he said he was going to do. God has worked. And that's the story of the Bible, time and time and again. God works, God works, God works, God works. And this is a foreshadowing of what's going to come. But knowing the how the rest of the Old Testament plays out, I kind of wish that right there, right then, that God had sent Jesus and he'd ushered in the kingdom and that would have been it. And we wouldn't have gone through all the stuff of the times of the prophets and the divided kingdom and all the things we've yet to see. And the hypocritical Pharisees and Sadducees in the New Testament all the way up to all the stuff that we see today. I just, sometimes I wish he had, but then I wouldn't have lived, and I can't even imagine that. Can you imagine not living? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, King, one, more, one more passage, Psalm 72. King Solomon wrote a psalm, and he says this in uh, Psalm 72, starting in verse 15. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him, and it was, May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. Let grain abound throughout the land. And it did. On the tops of the hills may it sway. Let his fruit flourish like Lebanon. Let it thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. All nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Verses 18 and 19. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds, even like killing giants, Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And we're looking ahead. We're looking ahead to one day. We have another picture. One day when the whole earth, and that's where the story is going. We're in, we're in Act 1. There's going to be an Act 2. There's going to be an Act 3. Okay? We're in the midst of Act 1 right now. But one day, the very end story, all the way over at the other end, one day the whole earth will be full of God's glory. All nations, all people will know God and follow God. And we see, we, see, we see just a little foreshadowing of this in 1 Kings 10 in the nation of Israel. When King Solomon ruled and there was peace and justice and righteousness and prosperity and the blessing of God, all that. That was just a little microcosm of what's going to be one day. One day. For all of us who know him, for all of us who are part of his lineage, who are, as we sang earlier in that song, I am a child of God. For all of us who are part of the family of God, 
for all of us who have crossed that line and by faith we've yielded our lives to Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed. Now, the, 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 the other side of the coin is true, though, is if you're not part of that family, that whole earth full of glory and part of that, that's not for you. And, and, and it tells us in Hebrews 10.31, what does it say? It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is a God of love, but He's also a God of justice. And He balances that truth and grace and ways beyond our understanding. And He does. And if we harden our heart to Him, and we don't yield our lives to Him, and we don't choose to follow Him, we're not a part of that. We're, we're left out of that. So I hadn't talked about this in a while. If you've never crossed that line to surrender your life to God, this is where it all starts. <clears throat> and this story that we're in now, if you do that, when you yield your life to Him, it becomes your story. Your story. Your future. Your destiny. Forever and ever, world without end. So if you'd like to talk to me, talk to Lisa or Jordan or one of us around here about what that really means, what that looks like, we'd love to chat with you. Okay, we're back on the story. We, this is the high point. I hate to tell you, next, come back next week, we're going to see the kingdom divide. You know, it's, not, it's on your chart there, so I'm not, you already see it coming. We're going to talk about that and how God weaves all this together again as a part of his plan. Let's stand together for our closing prayer. Father, I thank you that you are, uh, you're, you're just so, uh, you're so honest. You're so honest with us. You, you have given us your word and you tell us what you're going to do and then you do it. And you always do what you say you're going to do. Wow. You're so trustworthy. You have good plans for us. If we will yield ourselves, if we are broken and humbled and yielded to you, oh Lord, you have great and wonderful plans for us. So Lord, bring us to that place. Keep us in that place. May we come to you and walk with you and one day be a part of this eternal, final plan of your program. Lord, we see wonderful things in this world like, like a total eclipse and Mount Rushmore and Yellowstone, and it's nothing, nothing compared to what you have for us in the world to come. In Jesus' name, amen.